Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life, the show to give you some help, just a little bit of help, each day on your journey of faith with our team of spiritual directors, priests from across the country. My name is Patrick Conley. I am in for Josh Raymond today, and God willing, the rest of the week as well. I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you for tuning in and making The Inner Life part of your daily journey of faith today. Well, you know, there's all sorts of traditions in our lives. There's holiday traditions, vacation traditions, family traditions, some spiritual traditions out there. Even, dare I say it, there are exercise traditions that people get into. But what is the Catholic view of tradition? That's what we're going to be talking about today. What does the Catholic Church mean when it is talking about tradition? Here to lead us in our journey through tradition today is our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh. Father Chris Walsh is the pastor of St. Raymond of Penyford Catholic Church in Philadelphia. Father Walsh, welcome. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's an honor to be with you once again and all of your wonderful listeners. Excellent, excellent. Well, why don't we start off today, Father, with just uh, just lay the groundwork for us. I always like to start by defining our terms here. What are we talking about when we are talking about Catholic tradition. Yeah, there's. Uh, I remember back in the seminary, we had a professor that would often say, we have to make the distinction between capital T tradition and small t traditions. Uh, fundamentally, what we talk about with tradition, capital T, is that we are a church that is founded on scripture and tradition. Uh, and, and the question that we often philosophize about, which came first, the chicken or the egg? which came first, the Bible or the Church's lived tradition, well, it would be the tradition of the Church, because the Church existed before the New Testament was written. And so that living tradition is the the, the living body of the Church, certainly united with the bishops and the Pope, um, but but really the common lived experience of Catholics in what we understand and how it's been handed down. That's where the tradition sort of comes in, similar to exercise and everything else. Things that have been handed down generation by generation, and we would say all the way back to Christ himself and the apostles that he chose. And so it's this deposit of faith that we have. It's not that it's certainly complementary to Scripture and often built on Scripture and confirmed by Scripture, but it's the second font of truth that comes to us from God. Hmm. Wonderful. And it I know that it works together with Scripture, the sacred Scripture and uh, sacred tradition are, uh, well, I don't know, two two hands on the same being of, of uh, divine revelation, right? And so working in and amongst and inseparably so, yeah? Exactly. So both Scripture and tradition are flowing from the same source, which is the Holy Spirit, um, so that we might know what we need to know and be guided in what we believe ultimately for the purpose of salvation, but but even that we live a life that is worthy of the total Christian here on earth. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Right. Well, that's uh, I, I think probably many of our listeners are, are, have already been, you know, they know this much, but it's always good to start out by defining our terms. Right. But here's where the muddy the muddy starts the water. The water starts to muddy a little bit, I think, is that um, it doesn't seem that all Catholic traditions, especially you already made the distinction between what you call the capital T tradition and small t tradition. You've made that distinction already. It doesn't seem like all tradition is of equal importance in our living out of our Catholic lives. So can you elucidate that a little bit more for us? Help us to understand differences in uh, traditions and how important they are to our Catholic lives of faith. Yeah, again, we we have to be clear on what we're we're saying, because there is this tradition as far as, you know, the deposit of faith that we have which is where we as Catholics would differ from our Protestant sisters and brothers, who since the time of Martin Luther adhere to what is called sola scriptura. Uh, so again, the, the Lutherans and then eventually most Protestants are built on this idea that they don't need a living tradition of the Church uh, because they have uh, the, the deposit of Scripture, and we as Catholics would reject that. Uh, Vatican II affirmed that most recently in the Dei Verbum, the Dogmatic mm-hmm. Constitutional and Divine Revelation, that we need both, uh, and that both flow from the same source and both become a benefit to us. When we get into the small T tradition, we could, and and there's and and that part of that large T tradition, by the way, are some very fundamental beliefs of our Church around the Trinity, around purgatory, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, right? Things that are not explicitly mentioned in Scripture, uh, but and 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 in some ways the influence of our liturgy as well, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but but it also would include customs around Lent, so eating meat, uh, not eating meat on Fridays, uh, or you know in our church having the Blessed Mother statue on the left side, um, genuflections versus bowels for the Eucharist, depending upon the culture, depending upon the time in history, depending upon the place, and certainly when you get into the the, the larger Catholic world of East versus West, there are very different traditions, including priestly celibacy. Mm-hmm. and the concept of religious life. So there's very, very different lived experiences uh, depending upon where you are and in what period of history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, throw <clears throat> excuse me, throw a couple of questions out there for listeners so that they can join the conversation too, Father, at this point. So if you have a specific question about uh, what, what if a specific practice, where it falls in, uh, in the tradition or how it should, is meant to be lived out and applied to our lives today, if you have an example of how you have uh, held to one of, the, uh, one of the capital T traditions, sacred traditions of the Catholic Church, and what a difference that has made in your life of faith, give us a call. Join the conversation with our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh. Our number here on The Inner Life is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or shoot us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. All right, so uh, Father, you you are beginning to uh, yeah to you've you've mentioned a couple times this uh, this difference between uh, a more of a Protestant understanding of sola scriptura, and then a a Catholic understanding of divine revelation coming to us through sacred scripture and sacred tradition tradition as well. Um, but uh, you know, I grew up in a in a Protestant household myself, and uh, it was kind of a hard pill to swallow, uh, beginning early on, as I was taught from a very early age that the Bible is the only authority. 
So maybe you could shed some light on why some non-Catholics don't actually believe that tradition is even a biblical idea. Yeah, and we always have to understand beliefs in the context in which they came about. And so Martin Luther was certainly reacting to some corruption that existed in the Church, and and that's even a problem today, right? Well, you know, gosh, if these bishops are teaching uh, this teaching, yet their own lives are immoral, or at least not inspiring, or um, less than the ideal, then maybe their teachings don't matter as well. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem, because we believe that the teaching office of the Church, particularly the bishops in union with the Bishop of Rome, uh, are teaching uh, in a way that is guarded by the Holy Spirit. And so even in some of our darkest times of church history with corruption of the, the papacy and the role of cardinals and bishops, amazingly, we, we have very limited, if any, examples in which the faith and morals of the church, the moral teachings of the church, were in any way compromised. People may not have been living them, mm. uh, but they weren't teaching something different. At least their conscience was in effect uh, at, at some level. So, so Luther is certainly reacting to that, the experience of, of the 1500s, the corruption in Rome, uh, the selling of indulgences, the selling of, of church offices. And so he was reacting to that and sort of threw the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes Protestants will, will, will use, including Luther, um, the, the end of John's Gospel, John 20, verse 31, mm-hmm. which says, uh, These are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We agree with that, right? That the scriptures are written so that we might come to faith in Jesus Christ and have life. But that line doesn't in any way indicate that that's the only way we're going to come to faith, or that's the only thing we need to come to faith. Because the verse right before, John chapter 20, verse 30, is that famous line where it says, look, I wrote down a lot of stuff, but there's no way I can contain all that Jesus Christ taught us, uh, all that Jesus Christ did. And so John himself is admitting that, that what Christ offered the disciples is even larger than what was written down in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And, and we see the lived tradition. Um, I, I heard a podcast not long ago from Father Mike Schmitz, who, who shared uh, fundamentally Protestants actually believe in the role of tradition in the Catholic Church because they accept the New Testament. And the New Testament was agreed upon by the leaders of the Church, <laughs> right? I mean, the, the Scriptures themselves, uh, which Gospels are approved, which letters of Paul and Peter are approved. The, the Church herself went through an early discernment process to say, yeah, these are the inspired books of Scripture. Yeah, these are meant to be. That mm. comes out of tradition itself. Mm. And, and so a Protestant who believes in the authority of the New Testament is actually implicitly also agreeing that the bishops of the Church had the authority to make a decision uh, around that. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we see, and I've talked about this on other programs, you know, the, the Church and Acts of the Apostles, even having to make the decision around um, whether the Jewish tradition of abstaining from pork and abstaining from certain fish and the dietary laws of Judaism, if that tradition carried into Christianity. And it was the Church at the Council of Jerusalem that made the decision, no, no, that wasn't going to continue. Does that mean that Catholics are not free to, you know, follow Jewish dietary laws? No, you can, but it's but it's not you know, uh, put upon you as it was for the Jewish people. And so there was that distinction that was made. Of course, I, I often, in conversation with Protestants, when they're when they're concerned about, well, what is this tradition and where does it come from? 
oftentimes they have a living tradition themselves. It's just confined to their local church, that their pastor is the voice of tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, their church disciplines in their, in their tradition. Again, sometimes things around uh, what clothing to wear, uh, to abstain from, from alcohol, uh, to abstain from dancing in some traditions, right? Types of music. That's all their own lived tradition that was passed down from generations as they decided, well, if you're part of this church community, um, this is how we live out the scriptures. Sure. And so the choice we have to make is, am I going to be a part of this one little church's tradition, which is sort of, you know, guided by a group of pastors and elders, or am I going to rely on the church that Christ established and and, and adhere to their traditions? Right, right. Uh, okay, so I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah maybe poke the elephant a little bit more here, Father, and say say that I know that growing up again in a Protestant tradition. Oh, look at that! I just used the word um, that uh, doing that. One of the objections that came up to at least exalting tradition to the to the same level as scripture um was a little uh a little dialogue that Jesus had with some of the Pharisees in uh for example Mark chapter sure. 7 where you know right. he says yeah yeah right exactly and he says you know these people this people honors with their lips but their hearts are far from me and then he says this you disregard God's commandment but cling to human tradition um, and it seems to be that he's, I mean, looked at in a particular light, it seems to me that he could be condemning all of these other th- practices as merely human tradition and it has really nothing to do with cultivating a rich, deep spiritual life. What would you say in response to that, Father? I think that we have to allow the Word of God to say what it says and sure. and, and to be with other Christians in tradition in our tradition, again, um, with how that was interpreted. And certainly there was a challenge in the time of Jesus that, that certain Jewish leaders, not all, but certain Jewish leaders, the idea of, of their phylacteries, which were used in prayer, and you know, the idea was that if my phylactery is bigger than your phylactery, somehow I'm more <laughs> right. righteous or holy, um, or the type of prayer shawl, and my tassels were more exposed, and my bow was more profound, and that these traditions had come into Judaism, now, he's not condemning the wearing of phylacteries. Our Lord himself probably wore phylacteries. But what he's condemning is the way it was carried out. And, and again, we in our church would do the similar thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was a common practice, uh, you know, prior to the Vatican Council that people would be praying the rosary throughout Mass. That was a tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Because they didn't understand Latin. Perhaps they weren't able to follow a missal. Well, then that tradition was, well, no. No, that's, that's not good. We want you to have full and active participation in the liturgy, mm-hmm. and, and therefore that tradition, while praying the rosary is a good thing, we'd rather you pray outside of Mass, that you participate in the listening of scriptures and this type of thing. So again, I don't think we can use the text of Jesus to say that he was condemning all tradition, uh, because he wasn't. He, he said again and again, I'm coming to fulfill, he came to purify. Not all aspects of Judaism were abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, much of the Torah teaching comes in into the teachings of the early church. Much of the devotions, much of the aspects of liturgy remain. And so Christ is not throwing it all out uh, by any means, and there's no proof of that. And so sometimes it's what's called isogesis, where we take a a scripture verse and then use it to prove a belief that we already have, Mm -hmm. rather than exegesis, which is look at that scripture in the context in which it's offered and come to a fuller understanding in the larger deposit of faith. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that, that text is often used by our Protestant sisters and brothers, that Jesus himself condemns tradition, but I don't believe that it's used in a, in a way that's fair in the context in which Jesus was preaching. Okay. 
Got it. Well, and in fact, I think you're you're getting at, or at least during your comments there, Father, I was moved to be thinking about specifically maybe this start helps helps to start uh, differentiating between maybe what true tradition is and uh, for you know for again the building up of the faith, the handing on of the faith, and what might be termed traditionalism in doing things simply for the you know simply for the the uh, the sake of of doing it or um, of, as yeah. you said, with the Jews kind of looking good. Yeah. And I think church, church disciplines or church practices or faith practices might be a better term to, to describe uh, what our Lord. Again, we have to come back to the idea that the church existed before the new Testament. Um, the great uh, convert, John Henry Cardinal Newman, um, you know, he uses that uh, letter to Timothy um, you know, which, which is often quoted by our Protestant sisters and brothers. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, mm-hmm. so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? Yeah. Um, now, now, Paul is writing that to Timothy before the Gospels were written, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what does he mean by all scripture? Yeah. Well, of course, what he means is that when they gathered on the, on the Sabbath, you know, first on Saturday and eventually on Sunday, and they were telling the stories. It was an oral tradition before it was written down. Um, and and that, that guarantees that the Holy Spirit is, is working in that, right? That, that Timothy himself would have never had a copy of the New Testament the way we did. Sometimes we have this idea, you know, that Paul is, is holding the New Testament while he's writing the letters of the New Testament. Right, right. That, right? That, that this was right. all being worked out in that, in that first century. And that the Holy Spirit was guiding it. Well, somehow the, the Protestants are left with this, this difficulty, which is does somehow tradition stop after the death of the last apostle? Mm. Now, which we would say, no, the scripture deposit is there after the death of St. John. So we have the written word of God. Mm. But this other lived tradition continues today mm. to continue to guide us. Because just like the, the problem of dietary laws was presented to the Council of Jerusalem, so many other issues were presented that had to be dealt with other councils throughout history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, very well put by our spiritual director today, Father Chris Walsh. If you have questions about Catholic tradition and its role in your own life of faith and drawing you closer to the Lord, give us a call and join the conversation. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Maybe you yourself are part of a non-Catholic tradition. Maybe you are a Catholic who wants to know more about uh, about specifically what the role of tradition is in your life of faith. Come on in, give us a call, 888-914-9149. We'll be back right after this with more from Father Chris Walsh here on The Inner Life. Stay with us. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. You know we had to come back to it at some point here. My name is Patrick Conley, in for Josh Raymond here on The Inner Life as we are talking about tradition here on The Inner Life with our spiritual director, Father Chris Walsh, pastor of St. Raymond, his Catholic Church in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, 
one of the questions, but it might be really pertinent to our listeners, a way to get in, get them involved in this conversation, because tradition from that traditio is literally a handing on of the faith. Maybe a good question is, you know, how was the faith handed on to you? Maybe by your parents, maybe by your grandparents, maybe by uh, other relatives or friends, by pastors, uh, by other parishioners. How has it been handed on to you? What was some of the traditions that helped you? in uh, in growing in the faith that were handed down to you. If you have some stories to share, give us a call, 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Maybe expand a little bit on that, Father, because I think um, oftentimes, and rightly so, we see, at least with the sacred tradition, that there being things that are involved kind of the magisterial level of the church. But yet um, there are traditions that we can cultivate in our own families, in our own practices of the faith, uh, to help hand on the faith to future generations. Uh, what are some of those traditions, and how should we view them? Beautiful. And, and as, you're, as I heard that welcome back music, you know, from Fiddler on the Roof, certainly we can look to our Jewish sisters and brothers for phenomenal examples of this throughout history. You know, the Jewish people didn't have, you know, what we would call, you know, prep, religious ed, CCD. Mm. Um, For the Jewish person, the faith was passed on at the dinner table, especially on Friday night and on Saturday afternoon at the meal, as they had the Sabbath meal, as the parents prayed in front of the children, as the parents prayed with the children. And, And the Jewish feasts throughout the year, it's not the professional religious person who's doing the teachings but it's the parents. Mm. The parents are passing down the faith. Now that, of course, as Fiddler on the Roof, we remember, included finding the spouse for their child, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because as the scripture itself says, and the New Testament uh, concludes, you know, do not be unequally yoked, right? If, If the parents wanted the faith to make it to the next generation, well, they need to make sure that their child was yoked to someone who was equally faithful, if not more faithful, mm. so that that faith could continue. And, and there's something great to be learned there, and certainly many resources within the church now and within parishes for parents to be equipped to teach their children the faith. One of my great memories of my childhood was praying the rosary you know, with my grandparents uh, when they would come to the house. My parents were not rosary people. I'm not sure what happened in that, in that shift. They would pray at a church if we were having rosary at the church. But my grandparents, coming from Ireland, that tradition of the family rosary. And so when my grandparents came to the house, it was there. And I remember just the awe of looking at my grandfather, who I loved and respected, and seeing him as a man of prayer. And as a kid, sometimes asking him, you know, Poppy, what are you praying for? And he would tell me. And so I never got a lecture on the power of intercessory prayer. I never got a lecture on where this comes from in the scripture. The tradition was handed on because I saw my grandfather praying for his sister, praying for someone else he had met, praying for the nurse who was taking care of him while he was being treated for leukemia. Mm-hmm. And that sense of empathy and compassion was passed on. Mm-hmm. I think in a similar way, the way parents stop their children when they're doing something wrong and explain why telling a lie is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell parents often the way they prepare children best for the sacrament of penance is when they stop the child. They explain what's wrong. They have the child explain it. There's an appropriate punishment because sin comes with consequences. But then there's a reconciliation. Okay, you had to sit for time out for a few minutes, but now get up and come back. Certainly in different ethnic groups, traditions as well. Many Italians grew up with the St. Joseph's table, 
Hmm. Uh, images of Guadalupe, Guadalupe in, in Mexican families, other types of devotions that come and, and feast days that are celebrated around different saints are all just practical ways throughout the liturgical year uh, that the faith is passed on within the home in simple ways, but with profound results. Right. So if you do have a story about how the faith was passed on to you in these simple ways, but how it was still, it has taken root in your life and it has blossomed and flourished in your life, give us a call. Join the conversation. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. And since you bring it up, Father, since you bring up praying the rosary together as a family, just a quick reminder to all of our listeners to tune in to the Family Rosary Across America every night at 7 p.m. Central as we do pray a rosary together across the country, and also about a new book that we're offering for anyone who signs up for it, absolutely free of charge, no shipping charges, no postage, called Treasures of the Rosary, Reflections by Those Who Pray It Daily. It's free to anyone who registers at the website. It includes reflections on the rosary and meditations by St. John Paul II, St. Jose Maria Escriva, as well as our own executive director here at Relevant Radio, Father Rocky. So just go to the Relevant Radio website, relevantradio.com, or the Relevant Radio app, click on the banner and sign up, and there will be one sent to you free of charge. Uh, one of the things that I got with your, uh, with your comments there, Father, specifically, is that there seems to be, whereas, you know, if we're simply taught, um, if we're taught the faith in terms of like words, I guess is what I'm saying, if we're, if we're, if we're hearing a lecture on it, as you said, or something like that, if we're even if we're hearing a, a homily preached, um, that just doesn't seem to be sufficient in what it means truly means to hand on the faith. There is a a bodily and experiential element to the things that you were talking about. Um, there is a physical presence, whether it be you know an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, right, or um, the the Rosary itself. Um, as we're praying together as a family, there's a physical element to it. In fact, our our producer. Uh, Nick has said, you know, that, you know, growing up when we when we were learning in school, we heard a lot of teaching. But then every once in a while, we'd go out on a field trip as well. There was an experiential part of that as well that was necessary in us learning the material that we were that we were trying to bring in. Is there's something about tradition that speaks to that element, our our um, our hylomorphism, right? Our, our being soul and body as well, that maybe um, without tradition, we might be left a little adrift. What do you think about that? I agree with you, and I'm not sure which brand of uh, Protestantism you grew up in, but uh, you know many of the traditions of the Church um, in architecture, mm -hmm. so stained glass windows, uh, stations of the cross, statues, paintings, why was that there? It was another way of people experiencing the faith. Right? Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to imagine what the gospel story of the birth of Jesus looked like, but at Christmas time when they bring out a crash, yeah, it helps me understand it. Right. The way of the cross, you know, if I have a good imagination, maybe I can do something with that. But the stations of the cross around the church really help me. Uh, certain biblical scenes come alive in a stained glass window. Again, our Protestant sisters and brothers rejected many of these Catholic traditions. Why? Because they were Catholic. Um, and I think those things in our in our parish churches, and you'll hear people say that there might be a, a more modern church that's built, and people will go in and will say, "What well, doesn't feel Catholic?" Mm -hmm. We say, "Well, there's an altar, there's the Eucharist, the Mass is celebrated here. Why isn't it Catholic?" Well, all the stuff, right? All the stuff, which is what are they saying? These traditions that have come down, certainly not since biblical time, 
mostly through the Middle Ages, but, but it's how the faith is lived and experienced. Pilgrimages are another way. Right now at St. Raymond's in Philadelphia, we have a, a summer camp going on. And one of the girls asked me yesterday, she's about nine or ten, and she said, are we going to go to the big church and, and go down the aisle on our knees again? And I looked at him and I said, what? Well, thankfully, one of the counselors has a much better memory than me. We, we have outside of Philadelphia the beautiful shrine of Our Lady of Czestochowa. Right. And one time when we were there, there were a group of pilgrims who were Polish who had arrived, and they were going down this very long center aisle on their knees. And they shared with us that that's a custom in Poland uh, as a penitential act to approach the image of Our Lady of Czestochowa on their knees. So our kids did it. They were, they were eight, seven, eight years old. And we went all the way down this aisle, and this Polish woman had explained to them the idea of, of penance, and yes, it was going to be difficult, but with God, you can do all things. And here, two years later, this little girl's not only remembering that, but also asking if we could do it again. And she remembered, as the teenager mm-hmm. talked about it, she was chiming in. Why? Because it was an experience. If I had spent a half hour talking about you know, penance, I don't think the girl would have understood a single thing. Right. But your tradition of making a pilgrimage, the tradition of approaching the image on our knees in a church, wow, that stuck with her. And so we're going to do it next week. Right, right. What a, a wonderful idea. And, and it is something that, again, uh, something that can be easily uh, introduced into a family uh, a family tradition, a family practice of the faith, something that we could do again and again, because those types of experiences do stick in your memory. I was just reminiscing with my own father last night about some of the vacation times we had. And certainly, um, if those memories can stick in your brain for decades, certainly they can do the same around things like you mentioned, Father, around pilgrimages and other such things. I, I do think, too, in the midst of all this, is kind of pointing directly to one of the things that I, I think I see tradition in uh, just it's, it's, it's pervasive throughout is our own practice of the liturgy. Can you talk a little bit about right. the, the connection between the liturgy and tradition as well, Father? Yeah. If, if you could just uh, indulge me for one second, I'm going to read a paragraph from the Catechism. Sure. It, it's in the section of the Eucharist. Um, and, and I just think it's a it's it's an amazing um, sort of uh, synopsis uh, to us of uh, and this is from uh, paragraph thirteen forty five where it, it, it describes uh, Saint as Saint Justin Martyr describing what Christians did right. in the year one fifty five. Right. On the day we call the day of the sun, all who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as much as time permits. When the reader is finished, he who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Then we all rise together and we offer prayers for ourselves and for others, wherever they may be, so they may be found righteous by our life and actions. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss of peace. Then someone brings bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father through the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. For a considerable time, he gives thanks that what we have been judged worthy of these gifts. When he has concluded the prayers of thanksgiving, all present give voice by the acclamation of amen. When he who presides gives thanks and the people have responded, those who are called deacons give to those present the Eucharistic bread and wine and water, and we take them to those who are not present. 155. Sounds, sounds pretty familiar. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, uh, throughout time, have things changed a little bit? Yeah. Kiss of Peace got moved. Some people want it moved back or eliminated. Some people were happy that COVID knocked it out. Um, <laughs> but the fundamental structure of the church 
of the Eucharist is the same in the liturgy. Now, that's the capital T tradition, right? The way we celebrate the Eucharist has been passed on, um, and, and again, based on Scripture and complemented. The Church has definitively said that that's not the piece of bread, but it is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we cannot, you know, as Paul says, bring condemnation on himself by receiving it unworthily. And so the Church has developed traditions as far as what age you receive, what are the requirements that you receive, and, and other things. Small T tradition, in many ways, and, and again, I'm not a liturgist, so I'll preface it with that, and I know some people will, will maybe have opinions on this with, with what is the traditional liturgy. Some of us say, I want traditional music. Well, really what some people are saying is they want songs that they sang in the 1970s or 80s, <laughs> right? That's the tradition they're thinking of. Right. Other people are saying, no, I want to go back to, to the chant that dates back to the 1500s. Yeah, 1570s, right. Um, right. Yeah. In, in my parish, they would say traditional music. They want old-time gospel hymns. You know, um, you, you know, so the, the, the idea of what the traditional music of the liturgy is depending upon where you are, right? What are traditional vestments? Well, some would say, okay, well, the fiddlebacks of, of the old mass. Well, mm-hmm. well, no, if you want to go back further in tradition, go look at what the Byzantine priest is wearing or the you know, Ukrainian priest is wearing, because that's a more ancient style, right? Um, which way the priest faces, depending upon the tradition of where you are. And so we see all these different traditions. And what happens? I attended a Russian Orthodox liturgy, divine liturgy one time. It was the, the, the most, it was perfect for my attention deficit disorder, Patrick, because people were moving around, lighting icons, praying, greeting one another, all the while the Mass was going on in front, mm. right? The divine mm-hmm. liturgy was unfolding. This is just the tradition for the Russian people. So it's just a different experience and lived experience, and that's just with the sacrament of the Eucharist. Um, mm. The, the liturgy of baptism and how that's evolved over time and different traditions associated with it now. Funerals, we, 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 again, with the song from Fiddler on the Roof, nowadays the traditions of marriage. I had a woman, she called the archbishop because I said we didn't do the unity candle. And the unity candle was never part of the liturgy. It snuck in in the 70s, I think mostly right. by Hallmark and people who were selling the candles. <laughs> right. but, but she said, she said, she goes, this is essential. It's essential. And I said, mm. essential means that if you don't have a unity candle, then you're not actually married. Yeah, the wedding is Yeah, invalid. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And so she wrote the bishop, and of course he, he sided with me, thankfully. But, you know, wh- where these traditions come from, what gets added, and then we add to that what families do, mm. you know, around the celebration of the sacraments. Mm. It's a beautiful tradition now, and I hear many, many families doing it. Where, okay, yeah, you celebrate your kid's birthday, that's wonderful, but also celebrate the anniversary of their baptism. Right. Remember that date. And I try to do something every year, November the 23rd. My parents have me baptized four weeks after I was born. Um, you know, so November 23rd, every year I do something to commemorate that, you know, and I call my, my godparents who are still part of my life, my brother and my cousin. You know, we try to get together somewhere around that point. And now they've tried to do it with their kids. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's, it's a tradition that is a beautiful thing. And, and it makes the liturgy come alive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, I, t- let's sneak in a call here, Father. Um, we've got Monica calling in from Reno, and uh, I think we should take her call. So, Monica from Reno, welcome to The Inner Life. Good morning. Thank you very much. I'd like to share a story. Um, my uh, parents were very devout Catholics, and they raised us. I'm the, the oldest of four as very devout Catholics. And one of the things that we did is we knelt around the bed and we prayed the rosary. And being very young, I didn't really understand the value of the rosary. I didn't really understand, but I went with the program. Then as I got older as a teenager, my mother started getting us up to go to the 6 o'clock mass in the morning before school. I don't know anybody else 
I don't know any friends that ever did that, but we did that. And at first it was a little begrudgingly, but then we got used to it and it became a routine. As I got older, um, I incorporated this routine into the lives of my children, and I'm very thankful, thank you, Jesus, that they are practicing Catholic with families. We have nine grandchildren that have been baptized in the church. All but one spouse is is Catholic, um, but we're praying for him that God will enlighten him and show him that path. Um, Father, you mentioned traditional music. I'm also a cantor. And I'm allowed to plan the music, so I plan the music to my generation, if you will, of traditional music for the Saturday Vigil Mass. People are extremely receptive to that. But one of the traditions that my mother passed on to us that I wanted to share and invite other uh, listeners to maybe think about is at Christmas time when I was very young, my mother put a little box on our counter that was wrapped in Christmas paper, and it was open. And every time we did a good deed, we were to go out and pick a blade of grass and put it in this little box. Well, during the time of Advent, the the grass would dry out and it would look like straw or hay. And then on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, we would take our little box with all our little sacrifices and we would put it in the crib. And that was our spiritual gift to Jesus. So I'd like to invite all the listeners um, to maybe think about doing this. I still do this to this day, and I'm going to be 65 this year. And it's something that was passed on to me that has meaning to me, and it's something that I pass on to my grandchildren. And it's a beautiful tradition of teaching kids the gift of giving. Absolutely beautiful. I agree with you. All of those things, um, I think sometimes allowing young people to come to daily Mass is a very different experience. First off, their attention span is able to hang in there a little bit better than the Sunday Mass. There's less distractions, um, and, and they get to pray with a really beautiful community. So praise God that your folks did that, and then you pass that on to them uh, because the faith is is being lived out. So thank you for doing uh, your part to pass on the tradition. Hmm. Great ideas, Monica. Yeah, thank you for those. And if you have a story about some of the things that you've incorporated into your life of faith that have helped you in growing closer to our Lord, give us a call. Joining the conversation, 888-914-9149, Got a few more things to talk about with you, Father, about tradition here on The Inner Life, but let's take a short break, uh, after which we'll come back and round out the conversation about tradition. Thanks for joining us here on The Inner Life. We'll be right back. Must have a Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life. On Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley, and my thanks today to our producer Nick Sentovich and on the phones Jim Shaper, as well as to our spiritual director for the hour, has been Father Chris Walsh, pastor of St. Raymond's Church in Philadelphia, as we're talking about tradition and the role of tradition in our lives. Father, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here today, and uh, it's been very helpful to to get into the depths of some of the, or into the details, maybe I should say, as to what exactly is going on when we're talking about 
about tradition and this handing on of the faith. And so uh, one area that we haven't really explored, though, is the role of the saints in tradition. Uh, you mentioned, for instance, uh, with our perhaps especially Mexican brothers and sisters in the church um, having a, a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, but what can you say about the role of the saints in terms of tradition? Uh, thanks, Patrick. I think, first off, just the notion of the saints is part of our tradition, right? Again, it's it's the, the Protestant sisters and brothers will sometimes say, well, well, why do you have these saints? And a lot of times I like to turn the tables and say, well, why don't you? Um, mm. Because, you know, you're with us for 1,500 years, and that was part of, of the lived experience. The, the idea that, like, the Church has a process to declare saints, that didn't start until 900, 1,000, and really got formalized, like, in the 14 and 1500. That for the first eight centuries of the Church, it was what was called the cult of a saint, that mm. the people in a local community who knew them would say, wow, yeah, this person was a saint. And people would start asking for their intercession. People would start celebrating their life. And then the sort of ritual of canonization, right, which literally is adding to the canon, meaning that their name could be added to the mass. But, but prior to that formal process, what would happen is they'd dig up the person's body and they'd move it into a church. Hmm. You know, that was, that was the tradition, almost universally in the Catholic world for the first thousand years, and sort of remains the custom in the Eastern churches, uh, which is why sometimes they have a lot more saints than we do, because it's by popular acclaim, maybe in a local community. And so, you know, folks in, in Chicago are deciding who the saints are for the people of Chicago and people in Florida, are, are, because they, they know the person. And it's, it was a very different experience. Hmm. I think also where, where saints help us is, you know, back in the 70s, after the council, there was this idea, we are the church. We are the church. And it's one of those things that, well, yeah, that's right, but not the way it's usually used. Hmm. The ecclesiology is that, yeah, the people of God are the church. It's not just the pope and the bishops and the priests. It is the people of God. And that doesn't mean that the people get to decide what's true and what's not true, and, and I'm going to do what I want. That, that's an immature understanding of our ecclesiology. But rather, it's the responsibility of every baptized person to pass on the faith. And so when we look at the lives of the saints, we see that. Yesterday, we celebrated St. Zelie and Louis Martin. Right. You know, mom and dad, who, who raised four kids, four they lost in, in infancy or, or toddlerhood, you know, and, and they didn't abandon the faith. They suffered. Four children they lost, hmm. right? They, they didn't abandon the faith. They didn't say God is mean, but they found God's will in that. Um, and, and they raised up children, you know, one of whom's canonized and one of whom is on the way to canonization. Um, you know, he, he worked. She was a working mother who had breast cancer and who prayed throughout, <laughs> you know, um, and, and a dad who was left with, with four girls to raise, and, and he really didn't know what was, he was doing. Like, we can look to them and say, wow, how did they pass on the faith? Uh, a few weeks ago, St. Thomas More, right? He was a lawyer. He was a leader of the, of the government, mm -hmm. right? And yet there he was, and he stood up. And it's, it's great on his feast day, for those who pray the liturgy of the hours, the office of reading always makes it very clear. You know, what's, what do they choose? They choose a letter that Thomas More wrote to his daughter, Margaret, as to why he was saying no to the king, why he was willing to die. A father explaining to his daughter, that's the church tradition being passed on, hmm. all right? And the lives of so many saints, certainly we can look to some of the popes, 
like 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 uh, Pius X who fought modernism in the world, and we can see, okay, yeah, it's not just the church fights modernism. No, this guy, this guy Pius, fought it. Right? It's not that the church somehow gets reformed automatically. No, this young guy named Francis who lived in the town of Assisi, mm-hmm. right, who was never a priest, who was never a bishop, but who, who who took the gospel call radically and invited his friends to do the same thing. Like that's our tradition. That's what it means that we are the church. And so when we look to modern people like St. Gianna Mola, right, as a, as, a, as a mom facing a difficult pregnancy, no, I'm not going to abort the child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dorothy Day, living social justice. That's where the tradition of our church comes alive in the lives of people who take the gospel message, take the church's teaching, and live it out. And that's why the church holds them up for us. Mm-hmm. And great examples they are. And as we continue to aspire to be like them in, in in living out the lives of uh, the, the exemplary lives that they did live out, but also the, as part and parcel of that, as you just, if you just said, Father, is to live a life of handing on that faith to others. And there is an evangelistic element then too to living out the tradition and, and establishing these traditions in accord with the 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 life of the church as well, isn't there? There is, and, and in a time in which we're living, which you know we know mass attendance, you know COVID just sort of sped up the process that was already happening in the church by about mm-hmm. 10 years. And so folks are not returning. Why? Because they fell out of the habit, right? Because the habit wasn't a priority to them. Some saying it just didn't make a difference, you know, when they weren't going to church. And so they'll watch it online while they're folding their laundry or working out on their elliptical machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so how do we reach those folks? Well, each of us living out our faith, not at church, <laughs> but when we're at the neighborhood barbecue, when we're at the soccer game, and we're encouraging our child to be a good sport on the soccer field by giving them words of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and virtues to pursue and humility and talking about that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe if you're a coach of kids, even, even, even tying that in, right? So that the faith is breaking in. I challenged my folks this past weekend, you know, to be prophets like Amos. And one of the things I said is pay attention to how many times a day you can say, God bless you. God loves you. God is with you. Right? Mm-hmm. Inserting the name of God into everyday life in stores, in restaurants, praying in a very public way out loud. Don't just pause and be quiet. Pray out loud, mm-hmm. praising the name of God. Um, again, not to boast, but, but to witness. Mm-hmm. To witness. Why? Because this is what Christians do. We stop and we pray. We stop and we encourage. We stop and we love. We stop and we remind people of the name of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I think that's great to uh, continue on to to live out the traditions that uh, that are in accord with the teaching of the church that have been perhaps handed on to us by our by our ancestors, by our parents, by our grandparents and all those who have come before and to to but and to uh, live out the faith that way. But also, as you're saying, Father, I mean, I think there's, for instance, the example that you gave of St. Francis of Assisi is really uh, sticking in my head that 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 there's room still of new and innovative ways of people to take uh, the gospel of Jesus to um, to institute, in a sense, new traditions. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, sacred tradition here, but I'm talking about new ways of living out the faith in our life. Yeah? But, but, but actually, I would say that, that it is capital T being lived out right now because you take an issue like transgenderism. That's never mm. been faced in the history of the Church. And so yet here we are as lay people, as pastors and priests, as bishops, and as the curia in Rome, trying to figure out, okay, how do we apply this 2,000 years of tradition? 
How do we take the sacred deposit of, of the Holy Bible, and, and, and how do we create what it is that we believe now to this problem that we've never mm. faced? Mm. We've never faced, we've never had to deal with. And so it's going to lead to certainly capital T tradition, that this is how our church responds Sure. When you know, this is this is being presented at the parish level, it's being figured out right now, Patrick. I mean, mm. this is why the church alive, the living tradition of the church is so essential. And it just makes sense besides being the mind of God. It just makes sense because we need to wrestle with these issues here now today. Hmm. Yeah, and that's that's true. We're facing things that we haven't seen before, as every age does. And yeah, applying the teaching of the church to those things and, and drawing people. One of the things that I see, Father, is one of the, in this in this day that is perhaps, if I may say so, marked by distraction, one of the things that, mm-hmm. that really looms in front of us heavily is to, to draw attention back to priorities and the important things of life. Um, and of course, presenting Christ and his church, presenting faith as one of those things that absolutely needs to take up, well, it really does need to take up the central position. And even the smallest of traditions seems to be able to at least have have a bit of power, especially when coupled with the Holy Spirit, to do just that. And so what are some, I guess uh, you've mentioned some already, Father, but any other ideas that we uh, as the faithful can live out the tradition of the church in our daily lives? I would say you know, two things that many of us, if we were blessed to go to Catholic school, learned about and, and maybe are still practicing. One is the morning offering mm. uh, to begin your day in an intentional way. And there's lots of formula prayers over that. But almost as soon as you get out of bed, if not before you get out of bed, you know, Lord Jesus, you know, I, I offer you the works, the joys, the sufferings of this day in union with the mass being celebrated throughout the world. Um you know, and, and so that idea that everything I do today is for the glory of God and the salvation of souls, including my own. And then secondly, at the end of my night, if, I, if I'm physically able to get down on my knees and examine my conscience, admit my faults, admit my sins, and beg God that if I die tonight, he'll be merciful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that each night before we go to sleep, right, some people will not wake up. Some people did not wake up this morning. And, and so we need to be ready. So those two traditions, which take so much of our theology right, around the priesthood of the laity, around uh, offering of self, sacrificial offering, sanctification of daily life, judgment, sin, morality, all come down to what can take place in about 10 minutes of time in the course of our daily lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great suggestions, and, and uh, not too complicated to factor into one's daily life, to the morning offering and the, and the prayer at night, the, the daily exam, and that, that uh, just leads us into a regularity of prayer and acknowledging that this life is indeed a gift and helps us schedule our, our days that way. Well, Father, it's been a great conversation with you. Not too many callers today, but you know what? I, I have, I'm enriched by this conversation with tradition. And as, uh, as always, we would like to close with a blessing from you. So if you would grant us your blessing, please. Certainly. May Almighty God, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the angels and saints, bestow on you the grace you need to live a holy life and be found worthy of salvation, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Chris Walsh from St. Raymond's in Philadelphia has been our spiritual director today. My thanks to him. We've got Father Rocky with us tomorrow as our spiritual director, so make sure and tune into that. Also coming up right now is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. We've got Father Mark Melesva who is going to be celebrating that for us all. Thank you for tuning in and joining us here on The Inner Life as we continue to help move one another forward in our lives of faith in the Lord Jesus. 
We'll be back tomorrow. God bless you. Live out the life of tradition in your own life.